everybody. Welcome to today's One Million by One Million podcast. In this edition, we are speaking with Tim Wilson of Ottoman Ventures. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you for hosting me. Tim, tell us about Ottoman Ventures. Let's get to know uh, one another. Let's get you introduced to our audience. What is the fund's focus? What kind of what size? What kind of deals do you like to make? Let's get to know you. Sure. Um, Ardman is multidisciplinary and sector agnostic, which is both a blessing and a curse. Um, the blessing is we get insights into a very broad spectrum of technologies and markets. Um, the curse can be speed. If we're in areas new to us, we may take time to educate ourselves and build a network prior to investing. Um, we are early stage venture capitalists. Um, our fund size uh, we have an early stage fund of $200 million. Uh, that's our fourth fund. Um, we uh, typically invest somewhere between two and six in an initial check. Uh, we cover geography-wise. We're in uh, Canada, U.S., and uh, Bangalore, India. Mm-hmm. Um, we are um, all of our venture funds, we also have a growth fund on top, so we, we have capability to go from the initial check of two to six up to 30 and uh, between our, our early and our growth fund. Um, all of our funds do the same thing. I mean, we, we, we you know, if I look at the venture market, um, we look for the size of the opportunity that we're looking at, um, the source of unfair advantage for the team that uh, is bringing that idea to the to the table, and we look at the team itself and their their, their capabilities. So um, let me uh, probe a few things that you said and uh, get more clarity. First, let's start with geography. So you're in uh, U.S., Canada, and Bangalore. Does that mean you invest right, yes, all over invest, the U.S.? Sorry, yeah, we do invest all over the U.S. We do invest all over India. And you invest all over Canada? Uh, yes, we would go in, in, um, into Canada as well, yes. Okay. And um, could you double-click down on the stage? So two to, mil- two to six million check as your first check. What do you like to see in, if you're willing to write, let's say, a $2 million check, what do you need to see in that deal? So there are three things that we start with. Um, The first is the market size. And for us, um, we think, and this is the area uh, that that gets the most um, uh, debate within the firm. What we like to think of is how do you create or disrupt a $10 billion type market? And we are very specific about 10 billion because that number allows us to think big um, and help the entrepreneur think big. Uh, and it also is tied into the fund structure and the outcomes that we need to see in an investment. If your t- total addressable market is too small and we own, uh, say, 20, 25% of that company on exit and we sell it for $100 million and I get 25, I got to do that 10 times before we make any money. So we have to think big in terms of the potential market that you can go into um, over the life of this company. The second thing we look for is what is the unfair advantage? Um, it's usually technology-based. We do a lot of uh, heavy technology uh, with a lot of science behind it at, at Artiman. 
uh, sometimes we do first mover advantage. And first mover is when you're building a marketplace where the, uh, the fact that you are collecting both buyers and sellers in that marketplace uh, allows that to be the unfair advantage because you have, you have where business is, is, is getting done. And on the team, we look for a team that we more or less can get along with because um, it, is, uh, it is a long road to, to build any company. Um, and there has to be enough capability in the core team that we can say, okay, it doesn't have to be fully built, but this is a group that we can work with as a board member, as a contributor, and, and help that team um, get what they need, either in direct resources um, of their own, or perhaps with uh, advisors or board members or, or other resources that we can help uh, bring to the table to complement uh, the core team that's there. So we get excited often. I mean, the, the smallest guy, uh, and that's what we made was, or, or, or earliest we've done is one guy with an idea that was very, very compelling. Uh, our typical person, uh, a company that we invest in, probably has five to ten people, maybe, in the firm has raised some seed money to prove out something, but. The biggest thing is that we look for is what I, I shared uh, above, which is the size of the market, um, the unfair advantage, and the, and the team capability. So you, it is not a requirement that they have a certain uh, number of customers or a certain revenue run rate in case of, you know, let's not say at a all. SaaS? Not at all. Not okay. at all. Yeah. Okay. We, we, you know, certainly um, the further along you are in your journey, um, the more risk is off the table. Um, but there is uh, nothing that prevents us from investing in a concept, um, and we've done that multiple uh, multiple times. If the concept is powerful, uh, we, we can we can write a check to help you back your company. What are you seeing in your deal flow? We'll come to what you've invested in in a moment. We'll do some uh, case studies of what you have already invested in. But I'm curious, you know, let's say you've been in this business for a long time. Let's look at the 2017 vintage of deals that have approached you for investment. What are the um, trend lines that you see in there? What kinds of sectors, sure. what types of companies, what are you seeing? So I see several different trends. Um, one is more money is being invested at higher valuations prior to reducing significant risks. And that, um, I've now done this for over 16 years, and um, I've seen the ups, ebbs and flows, uh, and early stage venture capital requires a certain amount of ownership in order to work in the end. And I've seen valuations creep up and up and to the point where we've walked away from deals, not because they're not good deals, we don't think they're going to make the metrics work for early stage ventures. So that's number one. Uh, the second thing I've seen is the rise of specialist funds niche investors and incubators, and that's been a trend for the last few years. So in that, um, we see a number of small funds that are incubating or specialized that do nothing but a very specific sector, ag tech, um, automotive uh, tech, whatever you, you think about. Um, and so uh, that we've seen as a trend, and what happens is because a number, one, a, a number of these have been formed, um, one of the outcomes is there is money available and you end up with things like seven LIDAR companies being funded at the same time to go chase autonomous vehicles. 
So um, that is an area that you've, we've, we've watched and, and are, are cautious of because of the amount of money chasing very good products, but you're, you know, you're up against a number of competitors who pretty much get formed at the same time. And the third trend that we're seeing is mega funds. Um, and those mega funds are now, you know, they're, they're, they're venture funds, but um, you know, if you're managing a billion dollar fund, what I see now happening is the large funds will put a million dollar seed together onto the table um, as a placeholder. And um, if they come into their next round, that's great. If they don't, that kind of puts a damper onto your business because they have now bought a place at the table uh, but didn't come to, to eat. And, and so I, but I see that trend more and more happening um, where uh, large funds are just buying a, a peak at, at your next round. Mm-hmm. So you talked about investor side trends. Can you talk about entrepreneur side trends, as in what types of companies are looking interesting? What um, types of problems are looking interesting? Yeah, so um, we see a very broad spectrum of entrepreneurs working in different sectors of the economy. Um, I, I failed to mention one trend, which I have to, have to mention, which is the cryptocurrency um, trend. Um, and so we've seen just a, I, I don't know how many companies have morphed into blockchain and uh, token-based sales um, yeah. uh, as a means to raise money. And, and that's certainly an entrepreneur trend that's out there today is um, there are people. It is. What that, do you think of that trend? <laughs> how do you um, parse that trend? Well, blockchain for us is, I, I look at the blockchain as a specific technology capability um, that can be useful and can be applied, but not to all problems. And That's so right. we actually use blockchain in one of our marketplaces in India, uh, which is working on bringing, um, uh, it's br- bringing transparency into the construction material business. It's called M-Supply. So uh, they are bringing um, builders and suppliers of building products and financers together uh, into a marketplace that allows people to move um, both money and goods through through into the construction area, which has been traditionally a very difficult and, and possibly corrupt, um, or, or at least uh, oblique on pricing and oblique on, on performance and service. On the currency side, I we have stayed away from cryptocurrency, not because it doesn't exist, it does, but we don't understand it enough to uh, form educated opinions about uh, what will work and not work, although we've been studying mm-hmm. the space. Yeah. Any other uh, entrepreneurial side trends that you uh, would like to highlight? Yeah, if, if I think about, um, yeah, if, if there are big sector trends that are attracting entrepreneurs into those sectors, right? So um, there, there are, uh, uh, if, if I look at the, the cost of space tech, for example, has dr- dramatically changed, allowing uh, a raft of entrepreneurs that 10 years ago would never exist. I mean, you could not put up a satellite uh, outside of government funding and make that work. Right. Um, there are uh, robotics trends that are going on, again, with compute power and sensor technology. That combination yeah. is allowing a raft of people to build new types of robots uh, new types of drones, new types of things that are useful to, to all of us. 
Um, and uh, that th those are continuing. They, they continue to go on, and they're, they're just leveraging the work that's come before them. Uh, and the entrepreneurs that are uh, inventing are often at the forefront of either material science or computer science, and that also continues because there's a lot to do uh, in, the, in the world, and there's a lot of capabilities now that we have that even 10 years ago we don't have. So entrepreneurs are taking advantage of those, um, those building blocks to build their next, the, the next wave of companies in these spaces. Let's talk about some of your um, portfolio highlights. What are you really proud of having invested in? And as you choose the ones to talk about, specifically point out when you saw them, how did you know, in what state did you see them, and, and what is it about them that attracted you? Sure. I, I'll, um, I'll start with a company that um, I invested in in 2004. It's called Inmincense. And the founder came in with two other co-founders and a pillow. And his model and idea was to build a motion sensor and I still remember his words. He said, here's the size of motion sensors today, and I'm going to put one in every smartphone in the world. And it's going to end up in your pocket, and here's why. Um, <laughs> he didn't have a product. Um, he had a concept. He had a track record. Uh, he was a manufacturing uh, whiz, um, so we know how to build things. Uh, and we looked at him and said, um, well, what would you do with this motion processor? And he started uh, answering questions of what could be, and, and we wrote a check, and ultimately that company uh, went from three people into an IPO, was very successful, and uh, recently sold to TDK uh, for, I forget how much, but over a billion dollars of, of, of value was created there. Um, so I, I, I look at that company as an entrepreneur who is passionate, committed, um, who understood his core competency, what he could do, and understood how to model uh, and predict the outcome of, 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 uh, of, of R&D uh, and predict that he could actually build a motion sensor of a certain size and form factor and power that would fit in your pocket. That didn't exist at the time. That would be a great example. So you were betting on, on uh, domain knowledge effectively. In this case, we were betting on domain knowledge and the fact that there was no market, by the way, at that time for motion sensors right. in your pocket. It didn't yep. exist. In fact, smartphones barely existed. And he, right. he looked at this and said, we are going to put cameras on, those, on these devices and cameras will shake and I can use motion to compensate for your shaking hands. I mean, there was a very um, consistent, logical, and clear set of things that he had imagined about the world that we all bought into, and ultimately it, it became real. Yeah. Um, yep. What about more example, recently? Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I, I'm going to give you one that the jury is well well out uh, on whether this will work, but um, I'm going to give you an example called Silniva, S-I-L-N-I-V-A. Silniva is um, – that one we started with one guy. Uh, he's in Tennessee. Uh, he is a um, his formal education is in comparative literature, mm -hmm. and his he just happens to have it designed with comparative literature. I'm not sure how this works, but he's done most of the armor for the U.S. military that's used throughout the military. Mm -hmm. um, he's done. He's a nuclear weapons specialist as well. 
<laughs> on staff with um, <laughs> on DOE. Uh, he he runs uh, his son and him are are uh, running the world world's largest indoor farm for aquatic fish, uh, for aquariums. Uh, and uh, it's quite fascinating. So he's a multidisciplinary guy, which Artemin loves. Um, he walked in and said, I think I can, you know, and we're all familiar with silicon used as a, as a solar cell. Uh, the solar industry is driven by silicon, and silicon is used to convert phonons, uh, photons or light into electricity. And he said, I think I can change the properties of silicon to make silicon function, uh, converting heat into electricity, or in reverse, give me electricity and I can make cold. Mm-hmm. So refrigeration. So in this case, this is a $100 billion market for refrigerating um, and keeping, yeah, you know, there's $100 billion of compressors and condensers that we uh, buy every year in the world to cool humans mm-hmm. and to uh, cool food or freeze food. And in reverse, there's a lot of waste heat that's coming off of like hybrid combustion engines uh, in a hybrid car that can be turned into power. So if we pull this off, um, these are like the types of bets that we like to make. I mean, if we pull this off and make the world's first viable silicon thermal cell, then we have a platform technology that can address very, very large markets and, and make a meaningful difference to the world in terms of how we uh, cool ourselves, our food, and how we generate power. So those are like, so the, that's the kind of bets that we like to make. Very interesting. Tim, you know, what I see in, in your um, descriptions and, your, and the way you think, which is very refreshing to me, um, is that you are willing to take on very complex technology projects that are at very early stages, and, and you, you, you're not looking for, you know, very commonly these days we're seeing, oh, we want to see a SaaS deal that, that has already got 1 million ARR or 2 million ARR, and then we are willing to write the 2 million, 4 million check, and, and that's where we want to play. You're saying that you, can, you are willing to work with, very, you know, good promising technologies who are willing to take on big problems, but with very unproven um, stage uh, parameters. Yes, there is, um, there is certainly risk there. Um, and the risk that we um, do get into and sometimes make mistakes on um, is are you in research mode or are you in development mode? Um, we don't like to take core research risk on. Sure, sure. Um, so if it's um, 10 years out and I've got something wiggling in the lab, I have no problem waiting and to you get that from wiggling to further down the, the, the technology readiness curve. Um, and it should stay in the lab. Um, in this case, the gentleman involved had done a lot of testing on it um, mm-hmm. and had uh, proven in, 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 uh, that the core idea and invention was actually feasible commercially as well as feasible uh, technically. technically. And, had done some prelim- and, and had done some preliminary measurements, not, all, not at product level, but certainly that said the science that he's thinking about um, it, it works. And so yeah. we spent a lot of time on commercializing that, but um, you know, we, we don't like to take on research risk, but we certainly will take on development risk if the idea yeah. is compelling. And what, um, 
what are you doing in India? What kinds of deals do you see in India? What, how active are you in India? Sure. So um, in India, we, um, uh, we've been there for a long time, and the first thing that we did was set up an office that could help recruit. And this is, you know, this is during uh, you know, the, the 2000 uh, time frame, uh, you know, the 2000 to 2010 time frame. We helped um, our own companies who happen to have uh, some Indian presence, usually a R&D center or, you know, software developers, we helped them build that back office and, and find people and staff them. So it was not, you know, we were looking, but we did not make an investment for a long time in India. Um, we just didn't, the, the only thing that we saw first was a, um, uh, I'll call it the copycats, um, that says take a, an idea that's worked in other markets, and I'll use the United States, and say let me replicate that. Uh, and that was kind of the first wave of e-commerce that went into India. And there was some success there, but we didn't, we didn't participate in that in that in that stage. About um, five or six years ago, we started to see a different pattern coming out of India. I would say it started in healthcare, and in the healthcare sector, we started to see companies with ideas and entrepreneurs that could back that we could back. And so we started making investments, um, and we now have a number of healthcare-related investments in India, and have mm -hmm. continued to. Um, uh, you know, we run right now the largest oncology lab as a service, but what mm -hmm. that's also given us is a platform for diagnostics to be uh, go into a, a self-pay market and get to revenue for some of our diagnostic companies very quickly. So it's been synergistic mm -hmm. to some of our other investments. Um, we also started to see and have invested in other types of technology. So, for example, we're in Tombow Imaging, which is um, um, it's part of the um, I call it the aim and ready aim shoot. <laughs> um, it's uh, it's optical, multispectral optical um, uh, imaging uh, technology used for uh, both gun sites, but also for uh, navigation and um, and uh, homeland security. So we're seeing now real technology companies um, that have entrepreneurs that understand enough of how to commercialize that that we're making yep. bets um, both in healthcare but now increasingly either in a marketplace like M Supply I mentioned earlier or in Tombo, which is a global marketplace. It's not an India for India deal. Interesting. Very good. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope we can work on together on some of uh, our uh, you know companies as well. So let's keep in touch and uh, I will uh, send you some stuff to look at soon. I appreciate your time, and thanks for having me on your podcast today. Audience, thank you for listening. Uh, we will be back soon with another edition of the 1M by 1M podcast. Now, uh, meanwhile, please go check the schedule on our website, 1Mby1M.com, for the working sessions, the free public roundtables, where you can come from anywhere in the world, and we'll be happy to strategize on your business with you. Speak soon and uh, do come back.